right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 349 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today we have St. Louis KISS Lonnie. We've got... Well, actually, he's not here yet. We might have... The voice of reason. We're going to need him, I think, later on in the episode, at least, to talk us down. Uh, but until then, uh, you'll have Marcus Almighty. Mark. Greetings. All right, so welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us. This episode is not going to be like the last few. We're going back into the what-if land. And one of the things that really does come up is we're going to set the stage here. We're going to say, what would happen if KISS finished their revenge tour in 1992? They still did a live three and Kiss My Ass, but they also continued working on Cause at that time, Carnival of Souls, as the album became. But instead of touring Japan and Australia in 1995 as an extension of the revenge tour, that was instead a start of the Tournament of Souls worldwide tour for Carnival of Souls. So let's say they had just released... Carnival of Souls in sequence. It had come out. What sort of songs do we think that they would have pulled from the album to perform live? And then how would they have changed the set list, which had been in kind of a set of, uh, or a sort of evolution over the previous decade, reaching a high point on Lonnie's favorite tour? Um, what would have happened with Carnival Souls? So, Lonnie, let's start with you. And, you know, what five songs from the album do you think that they would have uh, had the guts to um, present to the audience? And what are your th- feelings, I guess, overall of how that album would have translated live? <clears throat> well, I thought about, I've, you know, this isn't like a new question to me. It's something that, that I think we thought about for a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, like, what songs on that album would they play? And I and I think you know it goes back to even when we when we started getting our bootlegs of of Carnival of Souls, thinking like, you know, what's gonna what would be a single? What what would they play on a tour? So the five I came up with that, and we, and we chose five because they they played five songs from Revenge on the Revenge tour. So the the five I came up with were Hate, Master and Slave. Um, rain, jungle, and I confess. And I don't know if a lot of the other songs on the album would really translate well in a live setting. I, I think our our lists, I think, are are pretty close to one another. But I, I really don't know what other songs would really translate. Live, I mean, I can't see them doing Seduction of the Innocent live in a electric arena-type setting. I, I just don't think it would work. I don't think I Will Be There really would work. So so I went with more of a of some heavier-type songs that I, I, I think would have blended into a, a set list a lot easier. Yeah, nice. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that the album at least in terms of a KISS concert, is very challenging to think of how those songs would be presented live versus, say, how Revenge was as an album. You can hear a lot of those songs that weren't performed live easily slipping into the live Correct. set had they had the interest or the you know the opportunity to do so. With Carnival of Souls, we have had Bruce do quite a bit of the material over the years. You know, Union and Live in the Galaxy gives us Jungle. Um, I was on the the cruise when they did the medley of Carnival of Souls songs. He's done stuff down in Australia um, with, uh, was that ESP down there that did some... I think so. Yeah, I, I don't remember the details but there have been plenty of opportunities over the year to at least hear Bruce's bands do a live interpretation and it's still hard to get a feel for how that material would sound if Kiss <coughs> were doing it. So Mark, what about you? What were the five songs and, and what are your thoughts about the album being presented live at all? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I'm very fascinated by this conversation because when I listened to it, the first thing that came to mind to me, and I mean, I don't know, you guys can say I'm totally wrong with this, but I kind of thought that this record wasn't really 
to, you know, different from from Revenge in the sense that a lot of it was really heavy stuff. It was stuff that was really kind of trying to follow the current trend at that time period, you know. And I mean, a lot of the stuff was really heavy stuff like hate, you know, like Master and Slave and stuff like that was, you know, heavy guitars, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, there's no like keyboard soaked things, like things that you can't imagine, you know, Kiss doing in a live stage setting. So the songs I picked uh, were Hate, I picked Jungle, I picked Master and Slave, I picked I Confess, and the Oddball pick, which nobody picked, but I can totally see Gene kind of saying, you know, come on, uh, it'll turn out great, trust me guys, let's do it, is Childhood's End. Now, uh, because when when I think the problem with that song is that when people imagine that they think right away it's some kind of like you know, you know guitar up to here ballad that that and it's not that it it's it really starts off like a pretty rocking intro that whole beginning into it it's just when he gets into the verses it drops down into a kind of a semi clean electric guitar and he just sings over I mean to me it just doesn't seem like anything that out of the ordinary uh, as far as you know. The, like a live capacity like when i think of these songs i can't none of these songs i sit there and go i can't imagine them playing this live all i can imagine them all doing all it is is guitars bass and drums there's nothing in it that makes it unbelievable to play live sure maybe some of the guitars are more affected there's some you know some weirder effects on the guitars than maybe prior prior albums but i mean those guys had full you know rack unit gear and they had everything they could have made those recreated those sounds no problem for a live show yeah, so you raise an interesting point, and I, I liked your pick of childhoods. And I'm, I just see the band talking about, you know, planning the set, going, oh, let's try this one. No, the audience is going to go to sleep during that because the tempos are slow, and where the tempos aren't slow, the melodies are slow, because it is a very down-tuned album, um, mm. both in terms of its contents, its topical matter, and then, of course, the tunings and the performance. So it, it's very difficult to think of how a KISS concert, which is a celebration, kind of an upbeat, there are a few ebbs and flows in there, but they're also very predictable in some ways. How do you kind of shoehorn um, some of the songs off this album in order to have five in the set. And as we find, when we combined all our our prospective set lists into to one and then did the math of how many of each song, you know, we lost songs at the end. There weren't going to be five Carnival of Soul songs in our, in our combined set list just because yeah. th- there wasn't enough, um, you know... Um, agreement across all, all the panelists. Ken chose some interesting picks, and he did have Seduction of the Innocent. And I, you know, that kind of the riff at the beginning is almost like a, a bass playing played as a chord, isn't it? You know, mm. um, it, it's noted, it's 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 fretted, and then it's chord um, to get the effect of it. And I don't know whether that is the case, but that's what it sounds like, just thinking off the top of my head. He also had In the Mirror which I thought was a very good pick because I also had that, um, Jungle and Hate. So, I mean, right off the bat, we've got, you know, unanimous agreement in Hate and Jungle because I had both of those. Um, I had Master and Slave, I Confess as well. Um, so three of, us had, three of us had I Confess, two of us had In the Mirror, um, three of us had Master and Slave, and four of us had Jungle and Hate. So across kind of the discussion, I think we've got a good mix of songs overall to fit into the set. Um, I guess the biggest question that then comes down to a Carnival of Souls tour list is Kiss had started out Revenge with a 25-song set list, and that was massive. I mean, that really was the heyday. I think they may have done a couple of longer ones in Australia in 95, maybe Japan. But certainly in terms of making fans happy, they hit the nail on the head as well. So while they had, you know, cut a few songs, I think they cut three during the Revenge (laughs) Tour. We're down to 22 at the end. We're going to start our Carnival of Souls tour with 25 songs. But the most important question is opener and the opening song sequence. You know, what were the things that you would think would be important to the KISS opening set at this stage? They've been doing the same thing for a few years. Would you change it? Um, how did you think about it? And what would you like for, say, your first three songs in order to open that show in the way a KISS show has to be opened? Lonnie. Well, 
you know, a kiss show has to open with, you know, um, with bombastic energy. You know, that, that is a must. It's something that the audience is looking for when they go see the band, even even during this era with without the makeup. And at the same time, they never if, if you look at the tour in history, they never opened the tour. Back to back tours with the same song twice. Because I think the audience is going to go, well, didn't I, didn't I see this? The first thing you think of, well, wait, this is what they opened with two years ago and I saw. You know, is, is this going to be the same show I just saw two years ago? Because you look at Revenge, you know, they opened with Creatures. And you look at Hot in the Shade, they opened with I Stole Your Love. So as much as I love Creatures as the opening song, I couldn't pick Creatures to be the opening song um, for this set list. So I had to switch it up a little bit. And I didn't want to make it I Stole Your Love either. So I'm thinking, well, what hadn't they done to open up a set in a while? And that was Detroit Rock City, which is a great opener. And I almost went with Deuce for them to open, but I went Detroit Rock City instead. I, I almost made it Deuce, but it's like, oh, Detroit Rock City is such a fun opener. And, you know, even even the, the most casual Kiss fan there knows Detroit Rock City. So I went Detroit Rock City and then Creatures and then deuce as a just like a, a one two three punch to open up the show um kind of like what they what they did um later on i mean it's it's three songs that they had previously opened shows with and that's kind of like what they did in vegas when they went they went you know they went did they go they went detroit rock city creatures deuce i think maybe maybe in that order even just just almost and i didn't even realize i did that until right now while i'm talking about it so that was that was my pick. Is that I wanted to do something different, but I wanted to keep you know the energy high to open up a kiss show. Nice, which is exactly what you have to have when they drop the curtain. Mark, what are your thoughts on the opening sequence and specifically the opening song? Well, I mean, uh, Lonnie brought up an interesting point about uh not opening with the same song, you know, twice, you know, back to back on tours. Uh, but I I kind of looked at it this way, um, the Revenge tour was short i mean it, they they literally had to cancel it because it was just you know dreadfully attended so i'm assuming that this time around that maybe something happened maybe you know they were able to do a much longer tour maybe they'll pay smaller places whatever they were able to do a longer thing so to me that theory about you know the opening with another song i didn't really use that in that sense because i just thought to myself you know what not many people saw the revenge tour so why not just open with creatures because Creatures is such a great opening song. It is a bombastic opener. The way I kind of looked at it was that the first three songs are critical. Having written many set lists myself of my own band stuff, uh, those three songs, you either grab the audience and you have them for the rest of the night, or if you botch those three and they, you don't connect with them, you have a hell of an uphill you know, ski ride to get them back on with you. So what I did was just put in Creatures first and then come back with a song that they probably would have never expected to, to do next, but a classic like Parasite. So I was like, they'd be like, whoa, what the hell? Paris, I haven't heard that in a long time or whatever. And then to put that in there next. And then, of course, Deuce being a very popular song early in the set, I put that in as third. So a back-to-back-to-back assault on the senses because, you know, on one hand, those people who are the classic fans will be excited. The people who are casual fans will be probably hyped up from the energy of the songs. And you got to remember, too, there's going to be some people in there that are going to be kind of scratching their heads with the newer stuff, right? So you have to kind of pace this set so that, you know, if you're going to put in a new song, make sure that something that's around it is something that they're going to remember, you know, to kind of overlook that maybe they heard a song they didn't want to exactly hear. Nice. I, I mean, I, I love both of your guys' sequences, and Ken had a really good one as well. He starts his off with I Stole Your Love. Yeah. So going back uh, to what's a, uh, Hot in the Shade, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, you know, followed by Deuce, and then In the Mirror. So he lines it up with two classics, which should have people really happy, obviously, I Stole Your Love, um, and then into a new song. I took a different point of view. I immediately had images of they've knocked the the, the spikes off Lady Liberty's head, and they're going to mm-hmm. recycle that because things are starting to pick back up in the industry, but they're not sure. So they've uh, they've trashed Lady Liberty, and they've given her a latex mask for a zipper head 
is going mm-hmm. to be the main stage thing. And I think they're going to open up the, the set with the scratching that you hear at the beginning, the, the distorted intro, Paul on the mic, hey, ladies and gentlemen, you know, going into that while Bruce is doing his, uh, you know, guitar mm-hmm. work, and they're going to rip into hate as the opening. Straight out, they're throwing down the gauntlet. Gene finally gets an opening to the set because, you know, they've mm-hmm. got to give the guy a bone for Unholy. Um, and that wouldn't make a good opener. And then they go into Creatures of the Night and Deuce. So it's a it's a power punch in that sense that I want them opening with something new because they haven't done that in a bit. And mm-hmm. I, I also like how that intro does work for the album, and I think it gives some good dynamics that could get the audience going, WTF, we're getting a new song which many of them won't have heard at that point and then you go back into the comfort zone of creatures and deuce all right let's move on classics returning and classics replaced that both that that plays a very important in both of your sets and mine as well because one of the things that they had done in hot in the shade and for revenge was bring back a lot of classics how important would that be i think at this stage to you with what they had done on previous tours into what they'd be doing now with a vastly different album. Do you think the classics become more important and which are the classics in your set that you think are critical uh, for them to be playing? Lonnie? You know, I think I think the classics are critical at this point and they had become critical since they brought them back in Hot in the Shade that the the, the KISS audience is, is going to be expecting to hear them at this point after they had been missing for for so many years in the 80s. You know, I, I think Firehouse has to be in there because they're they they you know the the fire breathing is still an element and they they hadn't graduated to the point of hey we can breathe fire during a different song other than Firehouse yet. They hadn't gotten to that point yet. To the point that you know they they didn't they didn't even try that until until really War Machine and, and Rock the Nation that that was almost if, if we're talking 95 that they're touring for this it was still nine years away before they even graduated to that hey we could do fire reading for a different song so i think firehouse has to be in there um you know and and you know it's a kiss show that the 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 anthems have to be in there shout it out loud and rock and roll night have to be in there you know and i think black diamond would be i brought i put black diamond in my set list i think they would let eric singer sing black diamond at this point he had had a full tour with him you know, um, you know, they obviously Eric Carr had sung it in the 80s. I think they would be, um, you know, ready to have Eric go ahead and sing Black Diamond to to maybe end the set is, is how I shape my set list. So and I and I and I put Hotter Than Hell in there, too. I, I, I think it sounded great when they did it in Revenge. And I think, you know, it, it would deserve to uh, to remain in the set as well. Sorry, fumbling for my mute button. It's like I'm on a Zoom meeting. I'm watching you. I love watching you in there too, just because it sounded so good on Revenge. That I don't think I don't think they would drop it. I think they would have left it in because watching you sounded so good in Revenge, and you know they they kept it on the reunion tour '96. So why wouldn't they have played it in '95? Mm-hmm. Hey, and it's there Ken. It Hey Ken, hey. so so we've uh, we we've read your intros, you know about the five songs that you would have picked. We've done your first three songs of the set, and now we're talking about the Kiss classics that and the importance of them in the set, following on from the themes of the previous two tours. I'm going to go to Mark while you catch up and see where we are in the flow of things. Mark. Yeah. So well, you know, I I have to agree with Lonnie. I think the classics are vitally important in the set list right now, especially since, you know, you're going to be doing a tour on a record that who knows how well it did. I mean, look what happened in Revenge. They were 100% confident in that album, but the tour just didn't pan out with how they thought it did. So the classics are going to be just as important now as they were probably back in that day. But the thing that I think that's important to make a note of as well, because Lonnie brought up a lot of great songs that I picked as well, like Black Diamond and, you know, and, and songs like uh, Watching You is a cl- great classic song. I mean, I even picked songs like Cold Gin and I picked Strutter as well in my set list. But what I think is important to mention, too, is that they need to put in classics that are considered classics by the general public. Heaven's on Fire, songs like that. People, Songs that people will know from the general public. Because whether we want to admit it or not, while we think Cold Gin is a stone cold classic, to Joe Blow, who's never had a Kiss record, he'll probably never have heard Cold Gin, but he might have heard Heaven's on Fire. 
right? So you have to put in songs like that. You have to put in songs like I Was Made for Loving You. You have to put in songs like Tears Are Falling in there because those are the songs that were played on video, you know, on MTV and much music and stuff like that. So I think those songs were just as important to include into the set list as well because they were the ones that were being spun a lot, lick it up. You know, as much as we're so sick and tired of them playing that song, they, in a sense, they have to play that because those guys would know it. You know, the people would know it. As much as I love songs like, you know, uh, like let's let's even pick like Deuce, for example. We think Deuce is the greatest song since sliced bread. But what do you think the general guy might know, lick it up or Deuce? Right. He'll know Lick It Up before he knows Deuce, most likely. Right. So I, I just think that that's the importance of those songs in there. Like, I mean, I put in Let Me Go Rock and Roll because I think that's one of their greatest live songs that they do in concert. But, you know, really, how many how many people that are not diehard fans wouldn't be that familiar with that song? That's just a kind of the way I looked at it, how I paced out the, the uh, assignment of the songs within the set list. Yeah. So for me, classics by that point had become critical because they knew they weren't competing just in terms of new music, and I think they embraced that. So I kept, you know, stuff like Deuce, uh, Firehouse stayed in mind, Watching You stayed in mind. Um, I brought Hard Luck Woman back in because of Kiss My Ass. Hmm. I figure a lot of people will have gotten, you know, reminded of that song due to Garth Brooks, and they would have, you know, jumped on that to play in concert, um you know, in my delusional mind. So don't, don't knock me down, man. Um, let me go. Rock and roll was in there again, as well as, a, as a classic. And, um, I, I had, I stole your love as well, which Ken put in the opener, but I had it down in the encores, uh, which I, I don't know how well it works because it really is more of a, an opening type song. And, um, I, I think the weirdest one I put back in was I was made for loving you. I think they would have embraced that as well, like they had, you know, a few years earlier, and just be doing it because it's something everyone recognizes. Ken, the importance of classics. And you're, you're muted. As you know, I'm muted. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the classics. Um, obviously. That's always been, you know, the Kiss set list is the classics, and we get the same things, and we complain about it all the time, and so that sort of thing. Um, so you need those ones that, you know, stand out. Um, and yes, I did put, you know, like Julian said, you know, I put I Stole Your Love also. Um, and I did add, you know, uh, the, you know, I Was Made for Loving You just like uh, mm -hmm. Julian and they had that on the um, you know live three um, CD and, and that sort of thing so uh, yeah you, you kind of had to put it there I wasn't gonna put it there that was a late ad for me um, but other ones like yeah you know, the 80s stuff heavens on fire um, tears are falling um, things that you have to really put there um uh, because it, it was 80s was just you know not not many years before this so and then uh i put in stuff like i don't know if any of you did but i put black diamond i uh, did you did good yeah. yeah i mean that that's a classic that i think needed to be put back in the set list at that time yeah we have rock and roll night and some other other songs but that one really is well it's always been one of my favorite songs but uh i think didn't think needed to be there yeah i want you and and stuff like that those are classics um that a lot of people aren't gonna know i guess they're not a hit they don't play every tour but uh they're they're ones that you know i think would get people going even if they've never heard it before live um, stuff like that. So, yeah, Calling Dr. Love is another one I brought back, too. That was a good pick, by the way, Calling Dr. Love. That yeah. one just jumped out mm -hmm. at me. And you all had Black Diamond except for me. So, uh -huh. hmm. Hater. Yeah. And Mr. Gill. <laughs> Mr. Gill went with Hard Luck <laughs> Woman instead of Black Diamond. As usual, <laughs> yes. King Contrary Man. All right. Um, yeah, but 
I was made for loving it, and I just thought uh, my reasoning behind that was because of Alive 3. Went with that from Alive 3 because it wasn't really on the tour, and uh, they kissed my ass on. So let's move on into um, next question. How much of Carnival of Souls do you actually think would have been realistic in this set? We've gone through all of our songs we've, we've, you know, that we pick from the album, but do you think they really would have done five new songs from Carnival of Souls on this tour? By the time we do our combined set list, it drops to four surprising and we had to do it we had to do a tie break to get that fourth song in there so it was really three how many of these songs do you think are actually realistic when we're talking about 1995 so grunge is starting its wane um you know it's dropped off in popularity rapidly from you know you know we're in, in utero now and pearl jam's becoming massive um lonnie you know, I, it's difficult to say because they did do five songs off of off of Revenge, but I, and I could see them maybe maybe starting off the tour with 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 five, maybe four, and then dropping one. I I like your idea, Julian, of them of them starting with with hate, and I considered that for my set list as well. I don't see hate going anywhere. And I don't see Jungle going anywhere. And I don't see Master and Slave going anywhere. I, I, I see those three as being maybe they're, they're maybe the singles off the album, had the album had a proper you know, release and, and promotion. And, and I see maybe some of the others, like uh, I think a lot of us chose I Confess, and, and I also chose Rain. Um, and I, I see some of them maybe dropping out. But I, I see those three remaining. I see them maybe starting with five, maybe going down to four, and maybe settling on three. Just because, I mean, even think about even think about Psycho Circus in '98. Well, they only played three songs off of that when when they went out and toured. So I I, I see them maybe starting with five and, and waning down to three and relying on those classics on this tour. I disagree with you vehemently okay. about Psycho Circus. I think the classics, and because it was reunion lineup, meant there was no way in hell that they were going to get more than three in there because of dropping classics with the okay. with, with the original guys. Um, just imagine if they had tried. And then think of how badly they did when they did eventually do I Pledge Allegiance uh, right. to the flag. So, Mark. Well, I honestly think that there was no way in hell they would do that many songs live. I mean, the, the thing is, I remember going to suit to a lot of concerts between 1990 and let's say 1997. And a lot of bands that I went to see, especially at that time, were playing one, maybe two songs off of their new records and then just completely relying on the safety blanket that is their back catalog of classics. ACDC was doing that. Uh, Motley Crue did that a lot. Uh, Lots of bands were doing that. The only band I can think of the top of my head that consistently plays more than four new songs off of each of their new records when they toured was Rush. Every single time I've seen them, they would the record that they were touring, they always played at least five songs off the new record. I mean, when I saw them for Power Windows, they almost played the whole album. Like they they when they say they back a new record, they back a new record. Other bands I found were not into doing that. I mean, in more recent years, Iron Maiden did the mistake of playing the whole record. I think it was a matter of life and death or something like that. They played the whole thing that completely bored the hell out of their audience. But that's because they played the whole thing in one shot. They didn't mix it up. But I can I agree with Lonnie. I think Hate and Jungle would be the two that would be played and that would be throughout the entire tour. I think they're the strongest songs that would probably be, you know, adapted for live purpose. But the rest of them... I just don't think that they would have, for lack of better term, I don't think they would have the balls to play some of those other songs live when they know they can pull out other songs like Watching You or they can pull out something else like Heaven's on Fire instead. You know, what what what, what would you do if you were Gene? Play I, I Confess or put Heaven's on Fire? I think that the answer is right in front of your nose pretty much. So I think that they would probably stick with two songs the most and just rely on 
their classics to you know keep the audience happy and you know to have good reviews and to have like a reviewer that where the people are saying the audience was you know really loud and on fire and that would generate people going to more shows on the tour yeah it may well be i think what it's interesting to note is that on the revenge tour they started off the tour with five songs from the revenge album and they ended the tour with five songs from the revenge album so they were well they were really damn good songs so uh kind of hard for them to cut those ken your thoughts on that yeah well first of all you said they did i pledge allegiance to the flag is that a new song did i say that (laughs) you said to the flag yeah yeah, i deny it i can edit that out (laughs) oh no no. okay (laughs) i know what you meant i know what you meant um so the songs well they uh, did do the pledge allegiance eventually but they Pledge that allegiance to the state of rock and roll. So there we go. No, no, that was the other one. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> songs. Yeah, I don't think they'd be lucky to have one uh, actually stay on the set. Um, I would think two at the most would stay, uh, like hate and in the in the mirror. Um, I don't think jungle. You know, and, and jungle. If they did jungle, they would have to trim it down. They're not going to do the full thing. They really need to. It's going to cut into their set list if they play the real long, <laughs> the full thing. Um, it's going to be worth two songs rather than one um, as far as time slots. So uh, that would last a little while. But yeah, even if they did play it, I think it would be short. You know, again, it would be a shortened version of Jungle. Um, uh, so yeah, Hate and In the Mirror. I threw on Seduction in the innocent, of the Innocent just because I know they would never put that in there, but just because I like it, I put it in there. Um, <laughs> just, just because you wouldn't pick five songs anyway, you put just it want on. to do that. And then as far as uh, yeah, the the Mark's comment about the you know Rush, I know he'd bring up Rush, of course, um, but. Everything uh, goes back to Rush. Everything goes back. But, but I guess on the, maybe the 2112 tour, they probably did, what, two songs from 2112? One is 2112. No, they did the whole thing. 2112. I know. It counts yeah. as, oh, okay, okay, counts as one. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm being uh, you know, obtuse. <laughs> there you go. Obtuse. The voice of reason. Just just to give you a bad time. But, yeah, that's a long song. It, it Actually, I think they did probably a couple other ones off the second side of that album so uh, that's a lot of music to do on one show from one album um otherwise um yeah it'd be lucky like i said at the beginning to have only one song <laughs> to survive i think in in this group uh, if they did did a tour versus like revenge where you said they had five uh, lasted uh, till the end yeah, so I, I agree. I, I think Ken raised some very good points about shortening some of these in terms of their arrangements, and that was what my notes are on the five. How many of these would survive? Well, Jungle, I would actually pay money to see Gene Simmons play that Deep Purple riff on the bass. But I think he I would... Ken was gonna get I, I think he would work it into... You remember the solo from the mid-'80s that he was doing on the mm-hmm. bass? Just yeah. that, that very... I think he would use that as the bass solo as opening into jungle and then he would do his adaptation of bruce kulik's bass line um but it would be rearranged into like a four minute version then leading into eric's drum solo so um no harmonica this tour hate (laughs) and you know i've already covered that one i think that would stay in the opening slot and i think it would have been a third single from the album because i do think the singles would have followed the same flow that they did when eventually released that jungle would have been the first single paul stanley song followed by master and slave as the most up tempo from the album and then followed by hate which you know back in 1997 there was talk about it being on spawn soundtrack so i think they would have actually found a placement for the song back then because they would have been more desperate they would have done anything um mid 90s um master and slave i think would stay in the set as an up-tempo in the mirror would get dropped or if it even got played i confess i think they would have to rearrange that into a shorter version because it just goes on too long i think they would be trying to get across the songs in shorter forms because they wouldn't want to in 
fringe upon the time to perform classics, but they'd want to advertise mm-hmm. enough of it to hopefully whet someone's appetite. Would they end the tour with five songs? No. I totally agree. Two, if we were lucky, one more likely, just because I think at that point the reaction to the album would have been not that much different than it was in 1997, 98. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Jungle did well in mainstream rock. Master and Slave declined, and then people lost interest. And Kiss fans as well. This doesn't uh, exclude the, the fact that we had it for quite a while before it came out because of the bootlegs. So I, I think it would have held the fans' interest longer, but I think the reaction to such a change would have been that the fans want to hear classics and or, or at least you know, put some more of revenge back in, please. Make, just to make Lonnie happy. All right, Correct. next... Next question I've already started to touch on is the solo spots and features in the set. You know, where do you think those would form fall on a Carnival of Souls tour, and do you imagine anything that different? Mark, let's start with you on that. Um, yeah, I think that they would still obviously be doing these kind of features, I think. I mean, you know, they were very popular back in the day, and they still did some of them during the 80s as well. I mean, you referenced the infamous gene simmons bass solo that uh, was done uh yeah that was an interesting segment of the show back then uh but um i i don't know i kind of uh see them doing some of the more popular ones i mean i don't think gene would do a full-out bass solo like that because while it was okay it was not exactly his strong suit i think he's more of an entertainer less and more of an entertainer less of a sort of solo player. He's not Billy Sheehan, let's just put it that way, right? So um, <clears throat> I think that he would still do, though, the fire segment. And on my set list, I put it in I Love It Loud, which is interesting that uh, Lonnie mentioned the fact that they never changed the position of the fire breathing until, like, what was he say, 2004, I think he said, right? Uh, so uh, I, I didn't really think about that part of it. I just thought of, you know, what would they do if, if they were to do it in a different sort of set list configuration. So... But that's a good point. If I would have thought of that, I maybe would have put in Firehouse because of that. So good point, Lonnie. Uh, but I put uh, that uh, Paul would do his usual kind of guitar introduction thing for Black Diamond. I always thought that used to work pretty good with his whole, yeah, you know, comes out and does the whole cutting of the audience and does the, you know, who's louder bit, right? And then does that. Yeah, exactly. And then does the little introduction of Black Diamond. I think that that always seems to work well for him rather than to try to attempt to be some sort of fantastic guitar player kind of approach right um i didn't put any sort of individual spot for bruce kulik because i kind of think that they would have thought at this point to rather than give him four or five minutes to do a full-out guitar solo we could put another classic song in there so I think that while Bruce might not have been happy with that decision, I still think that they would have probably did it at that point. Who knows? Maybe if the tour would have started catching a lot of steam and would have been picking up pace and the audiences would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, maybe they would have had a reason to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, let's give Bruce a, a segment here and and that's it. And also don't forget, 25 songs, maybe it might be a good idea to give him a segment as well to give those guys a, a break vocally, right? So, But I didn't give one in there, so I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, let's see what Ken says. <laughs> well, I, I do agree that uh, the Paul Stanley part, so part would be the good lead into Black Diamond, uh, as it always has been. Um, yeah, the solo, uh, Bruce solo, yeah, I think they could still have something there, and I don't know, it would be, be, be a part of. Um, I don't know where I'd put it. Uh, maybe somewhere around, I don't know if it's somewhere around jungle or somewhere like that. Um, and then uh, the gene breathing fire. Yeah, that can go so, so many places. Uh, I guess, you know, I could stick it with War Machine, you know, and, you know, uh, and a War Machine. That's fine. It works. Um, do we have Firehouse in here? I don't know. I don't think we do. Do we? Uh, well, they could do it like they used to with Firehouse. Um, so if that's on the set then you do it do it then like the good old days right um and then uh, and then for uh drum solo um yeah you know and not a super long crazy drum solo but 
you can stick it somewhere in there. I don't know where. Uh, maybe before I want you or something like that. I don't know. Uh, it can go anywhere. Well, it, dep- it, dep- it depends at what point in the set you want to go to the restroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I usually uh, I usually don't walk out on the kiss in the middle of a kiss show, so uh, I'd be there. Yeah, um, but a lot of this stuff is here or there as far as where you're gonna put put the the little solo spots, and and it's fine to have it uh, in there wherever. Yeah, so I've covered Gene. You know that he would do his uh, bass solo as the intro to Jungle. Um, and then Eric's solo would follow after because that's pretty bass and drum heavy that song, so it kind of mm. lends itself to feeding both of those solo spots. Paul, you know, I haven't given a lot of thought to, but looking at my set list, you know, I I go from at the end of the main part of the set, it concludes with like you know, I kept the uh, rock and roll all night, followed by 800 encores um, for for how I structured mine. I figured they'd give that one more ride. So I went from Rock and Roll All Night to Take It Off to Lick It Up to I Love It Loud. And then I was made for loving you. I think he's going to do his solo because, of course, I didn't pick Black Diamond, did I? So I don't have that. So now I have to be creative. (laughs) So he's going to do his solo as uh, the intro to I Was Made for Loving You. And then Bruce, you know what? I don't think Bruce does a solo spot because he's playing so much freaking guitar throughout this whole set <laughs> that when he gets a chance to have a break while the other guys are goofing off, his fingers are being dipped in ice-cold water uh, to wash the blood <laughs> off to prepare for the next fretboard attack. So I don't think he needs a solo with all the stuff he gets to solo on. I don't think he needs an extended one to shoot rockets or anything because he's Bruce and he's busy. All right. Let's move on from there. Um, <laughs> by 1995, Kiss were doing some pretty kick-ass sets anyway, and this is going back into real history rather than our revisionist um, fantasy here. Do you think that would have been the same if the the Carnival of Souls album was in the mix? Do you think these shows would have been as kick-ass as, say, Budokan 1995 or some of the Australian 1995 shows or South America 1994 if they were now stopping to play Jungle? Lonnie? Oh, I think they would be just as kick-ass because this lineup had really hit its stride. Um, I, I think these shows would be as good, if not better, than than those 95 shows because i think they would have i obviously they rehearsed to go on the on those on those little tours that they did but i think they would have been even more rehearsed because they would have been you know working through the the kinks of of adding in new songs i think they would have been even tighter if that's even possible than what they sound on those on on those shows i think they would have i mean i i love those shows i mean much as i like revenge Tour, i really like those 94 95 shows are some of my favorites and i think they would have been even tighter had they worked in some of these carnival souls albums I, I i think it's a shame that it didn't happen the more you think about it and speaking of which i'm looking at my set list i sent you and it is a mess you can tell i did it while i was at work i got shouted out loud in there twice i skipped number 18 it is a disaster let's do that again let's do the shout out loud again <laughs> one more time lonnie it's okay. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't pick Black Diamond. Mark. <laughs> yeah, I I have to agree with Lonnie. Actually, um, I think that they would have been just as uh, hard hitting and impactful. I mean, don't forget too, um, they were like Lonnie said, they were very tight as a unit. The the addition of Eric Singer in the band really made this band a force to be reckoned with live. Uh, I really think that it would have been just as powerful, even more powerful with the addition of these songs because they probably would have worked out a really good way to incorporate them into the set list uh, as far as maybe, you know, transitions and stuff like that or what where they would have been in, what kind of cool introduction they could have came up with for some of them. But I, I think that this was the band at one of its strongest. I mean, I'll never forget the time when I was at one of, a, one of our band rehearsals back in the day and they had just announced on the uh, the Grammys that Kiss were coming back when they did that big announcement that, you know, Kiss is back and the original members. My drummer at the time, it was like he told him that his cat got run over by a car. He was so disappointed. He was like, oh, no. 
he, he was so pissed off because he loved Eric Singer and he thought that he was the best thing that happened to Kiss. He wasn't a big Kiss guy, but as soon as Eric came in, he was loving Kiss because of the way he drummed. And he goes, this is going to be terrible. He goes, I, he, Peter Chris can't drum anything like this guy. And he just thought it was going to be a disaster going back to those guys. And, you know, while the reunion tour was pretty good and he didn't mind it either, I mean, he was proven right eventually that it was just not the same as listening to those guys like they were on Revenge. Because, I mean, even that even that Revenge show on a Kissology is just fantastic. I mean, that, that performance is like spotless, you know. And, you know, once again, it's all about what's more important at that time. Is it money and the longevity of the band or musical, you know, uh, satisfaction? So I think that, you know, at that time they had to do something to survive. But I love that lineup. And I think that if they would have continued down that path, yeah, maybe they wouldn't have been playing big shows like, you know, Tiger Stadium or anything like that. But I think that they would have did some fantastic shows, tight shows and shows that a lot of fans who stuck with the band would have loved you know like i mean even daniel i'm sure would have agreed that he would have loved to have seen that lineup on that tour how many stadiums did they do in america after tiger one yeah <laughs> well yeah. they played the sky dome which is a pretty big in deep america big arena in Toronto. america okay. america sorry mark. sorry mark <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about rush later Okay. No, but I'm saying that. But also, they played multiple shows though, as well, with the with the reunion tour too. Don't forget, right? Yeah. No. In in a lot of places, that is absolutely correct. They did do uh, multiple night stands uh, throughout. But in terms of, they were never a stadium band. And again, it just proved it all over. You know, that it was Tiger Stadium and it was Dodger Stadium. So mm-hmm. that was essentially it. And do fact check me if I'm wrong. I have no problem with being wrong either. Ken. Yeah, um, while I don't want to, I'm going to agree with Lonnie. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the voice. Uh, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> Lonnie made some good points. It's it's true that they, the the band was on fire at that time, and uh, they had those other great shows during the the period. And they're yeah, they're really tight and were great uh, during that period. Um, so I think this would have been a great set list I, I can only imagine just thinking that imagine if that did happen and they played the, you know these songs and we can go back and, and listen to that show live i'm sure it would have been awesome to just you know play over and over again to you know either if it's on video or on, on audio or whatever um soundboard whatever it would have been great and it, it would have been just a great show um with all of these songs so yeah it's it would have been a cool thing had it happened <laughs> i'm hoping that one of the for the so- sound from the soundboard releases is a show from this era that we don't oh, really yeah. have from you know <laughs> kissology because uh, I, I agree with lonnie uh, as well lonnie there you go everyone's agreeing with you today <laughs> march, 20, I, march 25th market <laughs> yep <laughs> remember it um you know, around this time, I think we get a taste of what's going to happen. And I think we're all wrong on the classics. Because look back to the Foundation Forum or Blaze Fest mm. at some of the rarities that were coming back into the set. I think they were getting a taste for it themselves anyway. Whether they were trotting them out at the time, uh, you know, just because they were, you know, kind of uh, non standard events uh, is one thing. But. W- were they doing it for kicks or were they doing it to see fan response? You know, when you start throwing, take me back into the set, King of the nighttime world (laughs) got to choose rock bottom. So I think we would have had great sets and I think cause or carnival of souls, um, would have been token. So I think we still would have had those great set lists that we, we enjoy to this day. And every time we talk about them, we sing the praises of that era, 95, 94, those shows, this lineup, that band, mm-hmm. you know, every single one of those members of the band, even in 94, 95, after what was a pretty bad tour in terms of um, economics and having to end it early and basically taking 1993 off, they were hot as shit. 
So I think if they'd put Carnival of Souls out at the time, it, it would have been a completely different album in some ways. I don't think it would be as slow and turgid as what they record at the end of 1995. I think it would have been a little bit more, you know, happening because mm-hmm. they were happy within their own skin. So it would have been interesting anyway to see what happens. Let's move into the closing part of the set. And, and talk about how you would see the set. I've already mentioned again that I see them doing rock and roll all night followed by nearly eight songs, you know, just like they'd done the previous tour. And some people hate that, you know, they, they were going to bore you with encore after encore. How do you see them ending a Carnival of Souls tour set? And what are the important songs in that closing sequence for you? Lonnie, you've been right all day too long. Let's start with you. We're talking about my wheelhouse era of the band so i guess so um i went with them ending with i i I went with a more standard ending of a kiss show with them ending a set with black diamond coming back and doing um three of their more anthem and more recognizable songs and coming back and doing shout it out loud love gun rock and roll night more of a traditional end to a kiss show and the fact that a lot of people didn't like Rock and Roll Night in the middle of the set list. And I think they they would have went back to a more traditional way to end a KISS show. And that's and that's with, you know, Paul getting his moment with, with Black Diamond, and then Gene and Paul trading vocals with Shout Out Loud, Love Gun, another Paul song, and then a Gene song with Rock and Roll Night to end it with, you know, massive explosions and we all know how a kiss show ends. So I, I think it would have went back to that. I think I, it, it was kind of awkward rock and roll night kind of shoved into the middle of, of the set. And I, and I think they would have rectified that with, with ending it that way, more traditionally. Nice. And I, I liked how you uh, kind of approached your, your, <laughs> your set. So Mark, what about you? Agree? Disagree? How would you do it? I totally, totally agree. Um, because I know that when I, uh, got alive three um the fact that rock and roll night was in the middle and that whole introduction we usually end the show with this one you know and i was like why are you putting it in the middle of this set i don't understand you know this whole we're going along you know bit was like a little odd i found uh just because it was such a known closer you know it was just seemed really odd i mean i closed the main set with black diamond i thought that if you're going to close your main set. If you're not going to do it with Rock and Roll Night, you have to do it with that song at least. So I kind of closed it off with that. And I came back with the sort of typical set for the encore. You know, if, if you're going to play Detroit Rock City, you're either doing it in two places. At the entry of the show at the very beginning, or the first song back on your encore. So I put that there, then I put Let Me Go Rock and Roll, and then I put Rock and Roll Night second last because i kind of saw them transitioning from a big ending on rock and roll night you know paul smashes the guitar and then while it's kind of all feeding back and stuff they hand him another guitar and they do the star spangled banner banner and out on that because i kind of think that they were still feeling very mm-hmm. proud to be american you know so i think they would have kept that part of the show in there uh at least for another tour i mean it, it, it's such a cool thing on guitar anyway the way they did it so and, you know, and that's another opportunity for them to blow off a lot more pyro. So that's kind of how I, you know, placed it. A little bit of a tribute to the old and new with that. Hoorah. And I just noticed that Lonnie did indeed have shouted out loud, Black Diamond shouted out loud. Yes, they did. Yes. <laughs> Video Thank- shoot. I'm surprised you didn't notice that hurt. <laughs> no, the, the, you just you skewed the results. You've ruined it, man. <laughs> yeah, no. My credibility I gained today is out the window. <laughs> all right, Ken, how, how would you end this? <clears throat> yeah, well, first of all, how many of us saw that? I mean, I know I did. Saw the rock and roll night in the middle of the set. Any of and us? That's the revenge show. I got grounded. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so, so it was just me? Um, uh, yeah, I, I was in Scotland and I missed their visit. Anyway, yeah, so so I remember I yeah, I remember when that uh started or when that song came on in the middle and I was like, What the you know, it's like <laughs> are they ending the show you know, this early, you know, after after this you know What is this crazy night? Doing, 
so many songs and yeah uh, that's why that's why i thought as i was worried for a second there because crazy nights was like it was it was not good um so yeah so then they continue i thought oh, that's just a weird thing to do weird 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 thing to do but anyway i don't know why they did that but they did it so uh for me i i end on rock and roll night and basically i don't make a big ending where there's a whole bunch of songs at the end um i i do the original ending of the show which is black diamond that kind of ends it because that's their usual ending back at, from the early days and then then they go off they come back do the love gun thing with paul and then end on rock and roll all night and smash the guitar and it's over um so I, yeah i don't think it's they didn't have to you know stretch you out a whole love gun in there though I did put Love Gun in there, yeah. 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 Right right in between you know, the Black Diamond ending, they go off, they come back, and they kick into Love Gun, which is you know, a great song to kick into at that point. And then it's finished on Rock and Roll All Night. And uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. I think they need to do a synchronized guitar smashing. Gene smashes a bass, Tommy smashes a guitar, they all synchronize. <laughs> They haven't done that yet. Well, they, so. they fight each other There's with their guitars. Time. They fight each other with their guitars. All right. So I, of course, am different. So I kept rocking all night. I, I think I mentioned this earlier, you know, back in that weird, you know, we're going to mm. tease you with eight more encores. And they come back on and they do take it off, lick it up, follow by, love it loud. I was made for loving you. I stole your love. I don't know how well that would flow thinking back. Um Detroit Rock City shouted out loud then God gave rock and roll to you to close and then the curtains drop and Paul then shouts out of the darkness oh yeah you thought we forgot this one and ends the set with Love Gun (laughs) (laughs) you thought we forgot I I think my set list is absolutely terrible, but you know, looking at all four of these, I don't know. You don't shout out loud in there twice. I don't know. (laughs) I do think there's plenty of issues to go around. All right, let's end with this. I listened to Carnival Souls, you know, quite a bit to get ready for this, just to get try and get back into the vibe. What struck me about it is, for my tastes and what I listen to these days, it has not aged well. I just don't find i love this album when it came out i don't know whether it was because of what i went through to you know get a copy when it leaked and you know the excitement and all that of a new album at that time and you know that was the first time i did any pr for a record label as well so you know there were happy memories around the time and now i'm like it's just you know, it's got a couple of really good songs. I, I really enjoy Hate to this day. Uh, I actually like that a lot more now than I did back in the day. But there's some stuff on there. Rain. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be Real a... Real downer. Yeah, there's got to be a pill for that. Master and Slave is still a really cool song. I Will Be There is still a really good song. Seduction of the Innocent and I Confess are, are good. But for the whole, for the uh, overall, it has not aged well. It doesn't sound good. The, the song's just, it's half-assed. But I respect what they were trying to do. How has this album aged for you? And, you know, what are your thoughts on it today, 2021? Lonnie. You know, when I got my, I, I got one bootleg, the first bootleg I got of it had like, didn't have all 12 songs on it. It might've had eight songs on it. And then, and I, and I, and, and, you know, I'm super high on it. I love it. You know, I think it's great. And then the second one I got on, it had all 12 songs on it. Then had a couple of, you know, it had a couple of demos and stuff like that at the end of it even too. And, and, and I was like, oh, more songs. And I loved it. I, I thought it was great at the time. And then you know, it came out in October of, of 97. And I still loved it. I, I, I loved Hate, you know, because I, I compared it to Unholy. It was the mirror song to me of Unholy. And I really liked Master and Slave. And I still like Hate. I still like Master and Slave. And, and I am going to agree with you, Julian. I 
the the album has not aged well for me as much as I liked it in 1997. And I was hyping it up to my friends like, oh, you guys have to listen to this. It's great. When I listen to it now, it it just it doesn't hold a candle to revenge for me for the album that was advertised as we're going to pick up where revenge left off. I'm like, That's what I want to hear. It it doesn't it, 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 it doesn't pick up where revenge left off. And as, as, as much as I do enjoy some songs off there to this day, there's a lot of filler and a lot of, you can tell they were mailing it in because they had other things on their mind. So it's, it has a few good tracks on it, but, but it, it falls well short of, of my standards for Kiss album. I think one of the interesting things now that I consider is think of the Magnographic demos prior to Destroyer and what Bob Ezrin did with that. I think if Bob Ezrin had been, come back to the producer really? chair for this album, it would have been a vastly different creature, one that we can barely envisage uh, being such, or listen to some of the demos from Gene's vault and how that was lost in translation as well by taking them from demo to studio recording. Ken, what are your, your thoughts on Cause today? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like you guys said, uh, I mean... I did like it when it first came out. Um, I, I don't know if I really like the idea of going grunge. I, I'm with Lonnie where they did say, <clears throat> I remember them saying, yeah, it was just going to be a continuation of revenge. And, and, and it's like, well, this is not a continuation <laughs> of revenge. Um, um, and then it's starting to sound like, you know, grunge. And I'm like, that's kind of <coughs> weird, but, I saw some of the songs were, you know, pretty good. And then some of it was just, I don't expect to hear a bunch of downer songs from Kiss. Um, you know, Gene to a degree, because, you know, the demon kind of thing. And um, But but when Paul singing that kind of stuff, it just, that just didn't work. It didn't work for me. Um, so it, it, it that album fit Gene more than, or that style fit more Gene than Paul. Um, though, you know, Paul did have a couple of good songs on there. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know if they phoned it in. I just think it was the wrong thing to do and the wrong producer for the album. Um, and maybe like you said, Bob, Bob Ezrin was doing this one too. It would have been more upbeat. Uh, probably half the songs would have been different completely different rewritten um, orchestra you, you have thrown some out yeah yeah, yeah. so uh it's it's okay it's good to, for listen for certain songs i like on it but then i i don't listen to it that much yeah that's where the strength of boss Ezrin comes into play you know as an editor of ideas and you know mark may not agree yeah. and i'm sorry to bring bob into this conversation mark <laughs> which you know, I, I decided I'll let Mark have the final word, and then I'll uh, reveal our combined set list, which was put in order by me. So it's just uh, the most popular songs chosen by all four of us into one twenty-five song set. So, Mark, your thoughts on Cause today? You have, you have to bring up Bob, didn't you? You, you have to bring him into this. It's not like there isn't any other record producers... You know, no, but it, if we want to trigger you, we all know which buttons to push. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, I, I agree with a few points. Um, I think, number one, the record to me is too long. It's way too long a record. It's an hour, 17 seconds long. That is the longest album Kiss has ever made a studio record of like in that length. So, number one, you got to cut that down. I mean... You know, we, we were complaining about how, you know, um, Hot in the Shade was a long record. This is a long record, too. Uh, what did we always say about that record? It needs trimming. This needs trimming. Um, yes, somebody like a Bob Ezrin could have done the necessary things to make it better. Uh, I think Toby Wright is a decent producer, but he's the wrong producer for this band. Toby Wright is good for bands like Korn, Limp Bizkit, and bands like that, uh, and he did, well, I mean, but he did make multi-platinum records with Korn. Follow the Leader was done by Toby Wright, and it was a huge album. Toby Wright touched this, and it was not a big album at all. You know, the problem is he was trying to get sounds of that ilk 
to a band that has nothing to do with that kind of a sound. You know, Paul Stanley's rhythm guitar doesn't sound anything like Monkeys or whatever the other guy's name is in Corn. So you don't. That's what I mean. It's the wrong guy. Yes, Bob Ezrin would have gave him a different sound. But you know what? There's other producers around that time that would have worked out well too. You know, like a Bob Rock. You know, Max Norman could have did it. Hey, if you're gonna bring out somebody who's related to Kiss, why not bring out Eddie Kramer to do something? You know, he did a live three. Why not do a studio album proper with the guys again? I think that they did need a producer to tell them, guys, listen, this is ridiculous. Some of these lyrics, you know, no one's going to believe a band that has multi-million dollars or maybe maybe it doesn't have to be that much money. But but guys who have a more than comfortable lifestyle will be complaining about anything like you guys are on these lyrics. OK, so I think that they needed some guidance. Let's just use that word to make this record believable. They could have made it heavy all they want. I mean, Revenge was a good record, you know, uh, but that was more believable. I believe more, I feel that a song like, you know, Take It Off is more a believable song to me than I Confess or, you know, In My Head, like, come on, like, that's not Kiss, you know? So I think that the producer was desperately, desperately needed in this situation. And, you know, they, they had, there, was, there was a lot of them out there that they could have used. All right, so Mark had the final word on that. Sorry, Mark, for bringing up him. Um, so our combined set, and again, I put this in order just for what I figure would have worked. Um, Creases of the Night is the opener, followed by Detroit Rock City, Deuce, Master and Slave, Heavens on Fire, Hate, Domino, Parasite, Take It Off, Firehouse, Jungle, Watching You, Lick It Up, I Love It Loud, War Machine, Tears Are Falling which we really didn't say much about during this uh, episode. Mm-hmm. I Confess, Forever, Shout It Out Loud, followed by Shout It Out Loud in honor of Lonnie, um, <laughs> Rock and Roll All Night, I you Still Your Love, Black Diamond, I Was Made For Loving You, Love Gun, and God Gave Rock and Roll To You. We're going to post our individual set lists um, that we picked in a graphic on the FAQ thread for this and probably on Facebook as well. But you know what? If... Kiss had toured for Carnival of Souls immediately, or you know, after they'd done "Kiss My Ass" and "Alive 3. You know, what do you think that they would perform from it? We've given some of our ideas. How do you think that would have changed the show? Um, since there were those, you know, th- there was an evolution going on between "Hot in the Shade" to "Revenge." What would have been the next step for this had they not interrupted their career, their artistic career or creative career for? easy money on a reunion Mm -hmm. so that's what we've come up with those are our thoughts chime in with yours but for now for mark lonnie ken and myself thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time all right kiss army welcome to the kiss faq podcast thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head i hope we don't do any damage we hope that you enjoy. enjoy enjoy